Hi there, I'm Alan Mann, and this is Stories in Stride, brought to you by American Region Animal Health and makers of Adequan IN. In this series, we take a glimpse into the remarkable true events of those who have left their mark on our equestrian community. We hear the heartbreaks and triumphs and the untold stories of our equestrian heroes and their amazing animals. The journey starts now. Today, our special guest is Stefan Peters. Stefan is one of the top dressage riders of the 21st century. Lucky for us, living and riding for Team USA. Stefan is a four-time Olympian with two bronze medals and has shined in many other international competitions, including bronze and silver medals from the World Equestrian Games. So if that weren't impressive enough, he has also won individual and team gold medals at the Pan Am Games, as well as a gold medal at the 2009 World Cup. Most recently, he has made us proud at the Adequan Global Dressage Festival, bringing the U.S. dressage team to Nations Cup victory and taking home gold in the Grand Prix freestyle. On top of all this, he is the first person to be awarded the USEF's Equestrian of the Year three times. Welcome, Stefan. Wow. Thank you, Alan. That's a list. <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was reading about uh, you in many different places, and I saw that you came over to this country when you were fairly young and you ended up in San Diego. Can you tell us uh, how that story unfolded? Yeah, I was very fortunate to uh, train at Joe Hinnemann's barn in uh, Germany. And a trainer from San Diego actually came over. Her name is Laurie Fogel, and she was a client of yours. And I was still in high school at that time, and she invited me to come over, work for her for six weeks during my uh, summer vacation. This was in 1983. And uh, I don't think she expected me to jump on it <laughs> that quickly, but I did. So, um, you know, I came to San Diego, worked for her for six weeks, uh, fell in love with the uh, American people, with the mentality, fell in love with California, with the weather, of course. And then I still had to go back to Germany and do my army services in 84 and parts of 85. And I actually saved up my vacation time during my service so I could be released sooner and return back to the United States. And that happened in... August of 1985. So a huge thank you to my parents, first of all, who supported this, this crazy idea of a 19-year-old kid coming to the United States. <laughs> and um, a huge thank you to Laurie and Joe Hinnemann. But, um, you know, without my parents' support at that time, who sent the horse Udon uh, with me to the States, this, uh, this could have never happened. Yeah, so that, that's really interesting. So when you came over at that time, back in 1985, did you make the decision that you wanted to ride for the Stars and Stripes? You know, you, you always have your dreams. And I just got done, we just got done watching the Olympic Games in Los Angeles in 1984. And of course you have your dreams that you're gonna be hopefully riding for an Olympic team one day, but it was so far out of reach, so to speak. I came over with a, with a horse that was six years old, um, you know, 
my dad purchased the horse when he was three. He was coming along nicely at six, but that this horse would go to the Olympic Games when the horse was 18. Yes, it was a dream, but, you know, a little bit unrealistic, but Ellen, I still did everything that I could do in my power as far as uh, being, being disciplined about working out and, you know, pursuing that dream with, with, uh, with such a passion all the time that the, the goal and that dream became more realistic every year. Wow. And, and so, you know, riding this uh, horse that your father gave you in your first Olympics, what was that like? That was incredible because my dad bought the horse Udong uh, for 3,000 guilders. In those days, that was about $1,500. Wow. <laughs> and that was, you know, from the time when my sister and myself broke this horse. And then my dad actually still got to see this horse compete at the 96 Olympic Games at the age of 18. So he wow. saw it grow to that point. His horse, he saw his horse grow to that point. And unfortunately, Dad passed away in 97, the year after that. But his horse made it to the Olympic Games. And the, I, I can still see the pride in his eyes uh, when we came out of that arena and we knew we had a team bronze medal. It, it, it's an incredible story. And we're grateful for this because Udong is buried um, at our facility. Oh, and wow. There is a gravestone. And uh, I still walk by there every single day and show quick appreciation every single day. Yeah, so that, that horse started uh, you on an amazing journey. And up to this point, you've had some really great horses. Is there a horse that really has impacted your life and your career more than others? Ellen, I would, I would think um, Ravel did afterwards because you always remember your first major championship that you win which was the world cup in las vegas he did some incredible shows before but you win your first major championship that is an incredible feeling i still try to find the words for that it's that was 2009 right now i'm still finding <laughs> the <right laughs> words for, for that feeling what that feels like and winning your first major championship is one thing, but doing that in the United States, in Las Vegas, with thousands of people breaking that stadium down, at least that's what it sounded like, that's, that's incredible. And from there on, um, it, it's just been an incredible journey with the tremendous support from um, Shani, my incredible wife, and Akiko and Jerry. Yeah, and that's amazing to have those kind of people supporting you. And you know, now uh, I'm, you went through some really challenging times uh, these last few years. And, uh, you know, you had people like Kiko and Jerry there every step of the way supporting you. But what was it like for you to go through this period of time where you uh, were dealing with anxiety and just the whole uh, self-doubt of thinking you could get out there and do it again? Yeah, you know, first of all, I want everybody to understand why that happened. And it was, it was very simple. There was so much uh, self-doubt after the uh, World Games in Triumph. I had this phenomenal horse, and I constantly kept questioning myself if it was good enough to 
ride this horse. The horse had already, Mopsy had already a, a very good show record. And I was constantly um, questioning, you know, if I'm good enough. And if you tell me that I'm not good enough, if a trainer tells me, if anybody else in the world tells me I'm not good enough, that's, that's not as bad. But if you start telling yourself that, that's just like a little terrorist in your mind. And that's exactly what happened. It, it, it went downhill very quickly. I didn't understand the symptoms of anxiety. So now I thought all kinds of things are wrong with me. Sleep was an extreme luxury, you know, sometimes two to three hours a night. And slowly I started understanding with good guidance, with, with some um, great mental coaches, I started understanding what anxiety is all about and started learning more and more and finally learned to take a step back and just observe more and more the symptoms of anxiety. Sometimes your body just takes over as much as we want to be in charge. Uh, mentally, we want to be in charge of our subconscious, but it doesn't always work that way. It is still every single day a challenge and you work on it every single day. But all I can tell people is um, when things like that happen, you know, you, you have to take a step back, observe it and make sure you don't hold on to any type of anger, any type of betrayal, any type of frustration. And um, when things like that happen, I think people easily blame others for this situation that you put yourself in, but nobody put you there. You put yourself there and only you can get yourself out of that with good guidance. And that's, that's awesome that you have been so transparent about sharing your struggles so that if there's other people out there that can see this world-class athlete has had these challenges in life, and was willing to talk about them, that would give hope to so many others, I think. And I had such a wonderful time in Wellington this winter, and a lot of that had to do with you being there because you, you showing up there with this amazing animal, you brought so much joy to the dressage community or to really to the entire equestrian community. And can you tell me, was there anything that really stood out about your time in Wellington this winter? To be honest, it was the visualization of Mopsy coming out of the arena, um, especially in a, in a freestyle with an, with an 83%. I, I visualized that. And when that actually became true, Ellen, I still remember exactly that, that evening when it happened. Um, that is an incredible feeling that actually an animal fought for you and made that dream with those goals possible. There were so many, as you can tell, there are so many strong emotions involved at that time. But I had those emotions already when I was visualizing that. And I, I pruned my brain so clearly and um, fed all those positive images into my mind. And when those came true, it was an incredible feeling. And um, that a horse can actually do this for you and fight for you this way is, is amazing. So that clearly stood out. And what I learned also 
is uh, so much what I talked to Michael Phelps actually about at the, um, at the Rio Olympics, because I knew he was, he was dealing with some anxiety and I look at the man and nobody comes across cooler than him. And I knew already that he was dealing with it. I didn't deal with anxiety at that time. And I knew he was dealing with it. He was also very transparent about it. And he said, Stefan, everybody prepares you for the Olympics. Nobody prepares you for after the Olympics. And that's still something I'm dealing with. I can get so fired up and so excited about something, but then switching off that adrenaline and, you know, uh, trying to chill out at the end of the day, that's still very, very tough. Do you think that it's, uh, it's more of a common problem than we realize, uh, you know, out there in the equestrian community? Um, it is actually. When, um, when I was in Aachen, a few people, a few riders actually approached me and they said, Stefan, please keep this uh, between us, but I'm, I'm dealing with the same thing. I mean, people who won medals before were uh, incredible equestrians. You would never know. But I think it's a bit more of a common problem and people might look at it as a bit of a stigma, but I think it's a... Um, it's so important to be transparent about it and possibly help. That is tremendous. And, and thank you for really giving us a little more insight into that part of your life. And I, I want to touch upon another part of your life. And this involves both you and Shannon. And uh, so uh, I hear you have some pretty interesting hobbies outside of the horse world to <laughs> give you a little different uh, challenge. So can you share some of those things with us? <laughs> Yeah, first of all, you know, for all the hobbies that I have, it takes a very tolerant wife. So I'm into large uh, model airplanes, into gliders, actually, and basically fly the gliders like the birds do. We look for thermals, and then we try to keep those uh, gigantic gliders up in the air as long as we can. And that takes very careful um, observation of nature. The hobby became very quickly slightly excessive. And if you take a look, uh, you've seen my garage, right? Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I can say I've never seen a garage quite like that. <laughs> when I take a break with horses, you can easily, easily find me staring at, um, at some birds that are just not flapping their wings at all and just finding thermals. And within five minutes, they're up at 2,000 feet. That is amazing. So now that's going to be one of my next uh, to-dos is to actually visit you and uh, get out into the thermals and watch you in action. So I'll look forward to that day. So um, let's just uh, finish with uh, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received in, in your world, especially in the horse community? Uh, there's two. Um... A very good friend of mine who knew me very well and got to know Shani when we were dating. He said, you know, you better marry that girl. <laughs> that's, that's the first, uh, first good advice that I got. And then the second one, I actually had to learn myself, Alan, and that's never, ever hang on to anger, to betrayal, to anything negative. It, it hurts you so bad. And the person that did betray you couldn't care less. And that starts with 
little things in traffic. I don't understand when people get mad in traffic. You know, when somebody cuts you off, and I feel so bad for those people when they get angry because that person who cut you off could not care less. But it's hurting you. Let it go. Learn to let go. We all are human beings, and we we learn to react, and we do react. But the biggest question is, Alan, how long? Yeah. And if we can let go quickly, I think this this whole world would be so much more peaceful. Well, Stefan, it's uh, really been an honor to have this time with you and to have you share from your heart. Thank you so much for your contributions to the equestrian world. Just honored to have you as a friend. Well, Alan, that goes both ways. I was just about to mention you as my close friend and remember all those shows that we did in, in Florida, none of those uh, could have happened without your support. So the reason that Mopsy and I were able to shine out there, you are a big part of it, my friend, and it's much appreciated. If you or a loved one is suffering from anxiety or depression, you are not alone and help is available. Please contact your healthcare provider for more information and assistance. As always, thanks for listening. Before you go, please take a minute to subscribe to this podcast. We want you to be the first to know of the incredible stories we have lined up in the coming episodes. Until then, happy riding.